So I want to welcome all of you here this morning as we jump in. If God only knew part 11. And I said this is going to be the last one. There is one more that's kind of pressing on me, just so you know. But but I'm going to let this wrap up for a while anyway. And as we jump in today, listen, this could be a very prophetic word for many of us today. What happens when your Egypt is is sometimes overtaken? What happens when you're the one who is sent into Egypt to make a difference for Egypt? What happens when life doesn't look like the way you intended life to be? What happens when God must step into your Egypt and lead you out of your Egypt? What happens when you're in a, when you're in captivity, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally? God has something to say, church, to each one of us about these things in our life. You know, over the past 10 weeks, hopefully you've learned something. Many of us have made the statement or thought the statement or maybe had the question, how does God know? And does God really know? If God really knew how my marriage is falling apart, how my finances have all of a sudden tanked, how my life has been turned upside down through loss, unexpected loss on top of that, how the hope in me has been deferred and it's made my heart sick, how I'm in a country that doesn't seem to get me a country that has changed from the United States to Egypt sometimes. And now I feel like Joseph in Egypt, a foreigner in my own land. This may be you this morning, and we're going to speak to those things this morning and how to win a nation back to her, Lord. If you would please stand for the reading of the Scripture this morning. It comes to us from Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all the attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. You may be seated. There's nothing like love of family and family love. There's just nothing like it. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I was telling my dad this week, I said, you know, my life has changed. I've, I, I remember when I looked, even just a couple of years ago, I looked so forward to summer, and now there's a part of me that kind of dreads summer. And he said, well, your kids have almost grown up. Don't remind me of those things. It's gone by so quickly. I look forward to the family vacations, to everyone being together, to me getting home and them not being at school and having a swimming pool and swimming together and enjoying the summer together. Family is so important to each and every one of us. Family love is so important. You know, Joseph mourns so loud. Did you notice in the scripture that the Egyptians hear him. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know exactly what's taking place here. We're finally there where Joseph is about to tell his brothers, I am your brother. I am the one that you intended to leave for dead, but instead, here I am, and it's because of the Lord, and it's because he actually had a providential hand of moving me into Egypt that you today are going to see his providence in your own life. It's been a terrible journey for me, and it's been a terrible journey I want you to know for them. Have you ever been to a place in life where you feel like you've done something and you need to confess that something? 
that it's burdened you your entire life, that it's just something that's been with you and no one else knows about it. Joseph's brothers had experienced this type of life for 13 years, and I know it was terrible because if you remember the first time they were with, with, with Joseph and they showed up and they said, we need help, that they became afraid. And why were they afraid? Well, he's going to discover what we've done. The past was about to catch up with their future. And they felt like, look, I'm going to be, uh, there's nothing that can justify what we've done. And we're all going to be under some type of persecution. Hopefully he'll spare us our lives if he finds these things out. And so Joseph kind of played with them a little bit. Of course, he said, bring back Benjamin with you. And he held one uh, in prison and he did some things. There's no doubt he had a little ornery bone in him. Most family members do. Right, But what we see here is that Joseph's love ultimately is greater than his own memory. You ever known someone like this? Can I say this? This is the reason why the other brothers were not qualified. Now you say qualified for what? I'm going to tell you qualified for Egypt. They were not qualified for Egypt because their love would have gone to revengeance or, or, or to vengeance and to wanting revenge for what had been done to them had they been that brother. But the one who had the heart was the youngest one, which, which was not tradition. It was in opposition to, tra- to, to tradition. Tradition usually stated that the youngest received the last, maybe the most punishment, but the least of the inheritance. The oldest got twice the portion. There's no doubt things are kind of working backwards here, but Joseph had the heart, and his heart said that his love is greater than any memory, any trespass that would happen in his life. Joseph's brothers were not qualified for the dream, much less qualified for the position now that Joseph maintains as the prince of Egypt. His love, his forgiveness, his willingness for reconciliation set him apart. Have you ever known anyone like this? You're like, you should not forgive them. That's not what Jesus said. But that's sometimes what we say. You know what they've done. You know they set you up for failure. But this was not Joseph. No doubt the brothers came to Egypt because they were starving for stuff. But I want you to hear something, church. Joseph was starving for them. It wasn't about being the prince of Egypt. It wasn't about being able to be the providential mind for the entire country and the countries that were surrounding. That wasn't important to Joseph. What was important to Joseph is the very first step that we see really in church and in ministry is family. Everything else, position meant nothing if he didn't have a position within his family. Family love. It starts with family. You know, sometimes, church, we don't have the families that God intended for us. And I can say this, and I can say it boldly, and I can say it with confidence. Sometimes you don't grow up in the family in the way that God intended for your family to be. God intended that his word would be passed on from generation to generation to generation because our God is a generational God. But sin entered into family. And it looks at us and it stares at us. And and we hear Jesus' words, a house divided cannot stand. And so Satan, our enemy, has a direction. He has, if you will, a mission to break up families. And here's why. Because families are the basic unit of the church. 
And families are meant to be generational. But some of you did not grow up in a generational godly family. So now what? It starts with you. That's where it is. And here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't end with our immediate families. God gave us a church family, a body of Christ who will love us, who will father us, who will grow us up, who will disciple us, who will discipline us. You see, God's plan is a generational plan. We've been talking about Joseph. If you back his generations up, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the name Jacob, was changed to Israel by God himself. A nation would be born, and Joseph is a part of that heritage, as a part of that lineage. Now listen, you may be in a family, whether it be in your immediate family or it's in your church family, where God's gifting is great in you, but your family doesn't accept it. God may move you to an Egypt sometimes. Sometimes he moves us. I, I remember a story, and you guys will know this as well, that, that some are afraid to come into Christianity because they're afraid the church will send them, an apostolic church, the word apostle means to send forth, to send out. And so an apostolic church should be sending people, and they're like, I don't want to go to North Africa. It's dangerous in Sudan. Right there, there are some things I don't, I don't want to be sent over there. But listen, if that's where your gift set is, God will not only give you comfort, He'll give you a peace and you will be ready to go because sometimes your gift set is meant for an Egypt that you haven't even seen and it will become providential for other people. Your gift set may be here, and that's a wonderful thing. But remember, a dream, a godly dream, is never just for you. A godly dream is for those who are around you, those whom God would send to you and send you to. That's what a godly dream is for. You see... Joseph had to be sent into Egypt where this leadership skill and all of his, his gifts could really be uh, productive, not just for him, but for those who were around him. See, family and family values, they've got to be fought for no matter where you are or who you are. Family and family values. Joseph had two different ways he could have reacted here. You get this. He had the power to, to end all for his family and that family matter. Let me tell you something. At Egypt... The scripture says it this way, that Joseph was the father, what? A Pharaoh. A Hebrew was the father of Pharaoh. How does that happen? Well, he's talking about a spiritual father here. The scripture's talking about having a spiritual father, and this is who Joseph was. So as the prince of Egypt, a Hebrew now is leading an entire nation. It's incredible. So he could have done this, brothers. Man, y'all threw me in the pit. You sold me into slavery. You didn't just sell me into slavery. You sold me to wanderers upon this earth. The Ishmaelites, they, they were cursed to wandering. You, and then they wandered me into Egypt, which Egypt at the time, and you've heard me say this, was the center of their universe. And so I'm sold as a slave. You did all these things to me, so thus saith the prince. Take them out. You already saw what happened to the baker. I mean, they impaled him and cut his head off. Well, let's just have that happen. But that wasn't Joseph's heart. These are my brothers. These are my kin. And by the way, Joseph not only cried loudly, he cried so loud that the Egyptians heard him on the outside of the palace. He wept. 
He mourned. This was his family. This is who he needed. This was blood. This ran deep. Church, if we only could understand the importance of who the church is called to be, relationships that are deep, that are tightly connected, that are woven together, you know when you're torn apart, both sides suffer, both sides bleed. And Satan, this enemy, wants to tear us apart, and he begins with our families, because if he can get the families, he'll get the church. Now watch, and if he can get the church, he'll get the nation, and if he gets the nation, he has an opportunity to get the world. See, Joseph had two choices, but instead of making a choice to curse his brothers, to call for revenge, he burst into tears. He cries and he weeps loudly. He doesn't do it just once in the scriptures. He does it twice that we see. You see, a nation, he understood the importance of his position for the nation, but the importance of his position for his family. Egypt heard him cry. Joseph was different. Egypt would become different because of Joseph. At this time, as I said, it was the center of the universe. No society had been more successful and more advanced than that of Egypt. And Egyptology today is still trying to figure out how did they become so sophisticated in what they had done. I told you the Sphinx was already there. I told you the pyramids were there 600 years at least prior to Joseph showing up. I told you that the obelisk of Snuffleupagus was there. And they would have seen that. Right there, There's a lot of things that are happening. The Egyptians at this time really thought that the world was flat, and they believed that the mountains were placed upon the flatness of the world in order to hold the water that was upon the land. And so they took care of their mountains. Mountains in many ways became gods just because of what they supplied or they thought they supplied, and now you have Joseph who knows the one who created it all, leading a nation. Sometimes God must take us to Egypt. Sometimes he's got to take us there for our gifts to be recognized. God couldn't raise him up amongst his own people. Tradition wouldn't allow it. He was the youngest. Family wouldn't allow it. My brother's crazy. You ever had that one? Okay. The ones who supposedly loved him the most, they were the ones who treated him the worst. Church, sometimes God must take us to our Egypt in order for his purpose in our life to be fulfilled. Remember, a God dream is never just for the person who received it. It will have kingdom attached to it. It will be a dream for his people and his provision. You may be in your Egypt, but it's how you go through your Egypt that will one day determine your posture and your position. If you have the right posture, you're going to have a great position in Egypt. God is going to use you where Wherever you are, if you will go through your Egypt with him. What posture do you carry as you go? You see, tradition will, would have stifled Joseph's dreams. Joseph's gifts, Joseph's abilities. Not that all tradition is bad, but God had to move him on. Joseph could have annihilated his brothers. He could have clung to the traditions of Egypt, but he didn't. Egypt didn't change Joseph. Joseph changed Egypt. Joseph became provision. Guys, listen to me. Your world oftentimes, your nation oftentimes, your family oftentimes will try to peel you away from your values. 
If you want to know what Joseph's number one value was and would be today, you don't have to read far. When he goes before Pharaoh to interpret his dream, what does he say? I cannot interpret your dream. But God, my God, the word used there is Jehovah. Jehovah's an interesting name for God because Jehovah holds two things. It holds both a noun, but it also holds an active verb in the Hebrew. And what that means is, is that God is on the move. And church, if you want to see God move in your life, know that he's a God that's on the move. He's a God about growth. He's a God who says, look, if you will hold on to me and cling to me. You will not be changed by all the things that are happening in the world. You will be a world changer. Too often times, church, we feel the pressure of the culture instead of the culture feeling the pressure of us. He changed an entire culture, an entire nation. He worshiped the Lord Yahweh, God on the mood move. A God of intimacy is what the word means as well. Joseph was respectful. He was intentional. And most importantly, he was responsible with what he had been given from his father, Jacob. Jacob obviously had taught him about his God, about the the God of Abraham, Isaac, about this God who loved so much that Isaac didn't even have to, to kill him, right? That, that Isaac had the, the opportunity to take his own son as a sacrifice, but God stopped him. That there is this, this way that, that God moves. And obviously, Joseph knew that. He had learned that, and he was ready. He didn't do it his way. He didn't do it Egypt's way. He did it God's way. He didn't see himself needing to change into what others thought he should be and do this or that because everyone else is doing it. He upheld his God and his God's ways. Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Look, we live among those people today who call evil good and good evil, who call light darkness and darkness light. I was, some things just plumb crazy in our culture today. I don't know if y'all been watching the news, but uh, I don't watch a lot of TV. I do far more reading than I do watching by, by all means. But one of the stories I saw was that Hollywood, which is crazy, today, crime in Hollywood has increased from last year 137%, and yet the city government voted against the sheriff's department. As a matter of fact, voted to downsize the sheriff's department and put Instead, in these places on the Sunset Strip, unarmed councils, which means if you want a counselor, there's going to be a building where you can go in and say, hey, I feel like I'm going to kill someone. I feel like I'm going to steal something. I'm real close to stealing from over here. Now, there's some crazy things, right, that are happening, no doubt. What the Scripture defines as evil, as darkness, many of our world would call good. Our own country is split, Roe versus Wade a couple of weeks ago. And yet Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, the sanctity of life. You have all kinds of sexual experimentations of relationships that are going on, a lust for one another. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Can you imagine inventing ways of doing evil? How else can we become more evil? Well, I don't know. Let's put a committee together, and y'all go find out some ways of inventing some more evilness in this world. And I see it through cartoons of how they invent more evil, more false doctrine, walking away from values, not only values of the church, but values of this country. In verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Look, we have churches that approve of those who practice them. I started later in the chapter, but if you want me to back that chapter up, it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, and he gave them over to depraved mind and passions and lust of their own desires. The women exchanged the unnatural for the women, and men burned with lust one for another. Where we call evil good and good evil. Look, now it sounds like I'm against people, but that's not true. I'm against the spirit that leads people away from the truth and eventually families away from the truth and eventually a nation away from the truth and eventually a world away from the truth. And yet for God so loved the world, someone has to maintain and uphold values. Someone has to submit and surrender to their Lord. It's not always the most fun thing that we do. It's not always what I want to do, but it's what we must do for the sake not only of us, but the sake of God's dream for us. It sounds like many times I'm against people, but I'm not. Ephesians chapter 6 says our fight's not against flesh and blood, but against the evil one, against the the high places, uh, uh, against the demonic forces. Yesterday, I wasn't going to share this story, and I I shared it with the leadership team this morning. They're they're like, you got to share that story, and it really does kind of fit here. But yesterday, I was helping my dad, and we watched the, the, the trailer, and we watched his pickup, and we cleaned up the inside and finished up. Uh, yesterday afternoon, the storm blew through, and it, it didn't rain on us, but a lot of wind, you know, we got that part of it. And anyway, I got on the highway. I was headed back. I was on I-27, and I noticed that water was running down the ditches, and I was like, well, it rained here. So I turned off, and we have a farm that's, that's going to be uh, some ways north, and it w- wasn't a big turnoff to, to go over and look at this farm. So I thought, I'm going to see if we got some rain. So I take off, and I, I get over there to the farm. We didn't get any rain. I pull around the barn to look at some weeds that I had sprayed, and, and uh, was just kind of thinking about how if we have to play before we leave on va- or plow before we leave on vacation, we need to get this other plow ready. So I was going to step out and look at this plow real quick. So I stepped out of my pickup. And as I'm walking over there, there's this little dune that goes up on this side. We dug a hole over there, and there's just the dirt from the... And through those weeds, there's a rattlesnake that's going. Now, he was different in the fact that I've never seen one do this. Some way, he thought I saw him, I guess. But I really would have never seen him had he kept his his head down. But his head was up, and it was turned back, and it was looking at me the entire time that he was going away. And his eyes stayed above the weeds, which is very unusual for a snake. I mean, normally, like I say, they put their heads down and they're gone. You won't even know they're there. And he would twitch his tail every now and then just to let me know he was there as he had his head up above the weeds looking at me but going the other way. And it made me think of this spirit, that it's looking for a weakness. 
It's looking for a way. It's letting you know that, look, I no longer have to hide from you. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to eyeball you. And at your weakest, I'm going to strike. And I'm going to bite. This is how the serpent in the garden worked. And this is how the serpent works among us today. If he can still kill and destroy families, he can still kill and destroy the church. He can still kill and destroy the hope for the world. This weekend is the celebration of our freedom. It's Independence Day. The media has changed it to the July 4th celebration, but it's a good thing to know some history. The United States is still the goal for most of the world today, just as Egypt was in its day. Egypt was going to be the provision not just for its country, but for the surrounding countries of Egypt. And the United States, I believe, was birthed as one nation under one God with values. And yet, our weakness in many ways has been found. In many ways, for other countries, if you traveled the world, which I have, and shared the gospel in North Africa and other places, their goal, do you know how many people would say, would ask, can you take me back with you? Can I go back with you? And when they found out I was from Texas, they were like, we must go back with you. (laughs) In many ways, it's the center of the universe. Neither Egypt nor Israel was perfect, and look, we aren't either, but the more a nation pursues the Lord in Scripture, the more things become evident. And it's the same with us. Joseph's love for his brothers, for his true nation, and most importantly, for his God, would make provision for all. Here are some things about our nation that we ought to understand. The Emancipation Proclamation, it stood for freedom for all. The 19th Amendment, the women's suffrage movement, and the right to vote. In the 1960s, a man burst on the scene, Martin Luther King, and headed up civil rights. And he said, if we say all men are equal, we should live as though all men are equal. No doubt the nation grew closer to God. God revealed areas that had to change as well, but it had to move towards Him together. Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand. So the enemy will always seek to divide and conquer, whether it be through family, through churches, through nations. The key begins for the enemy with division. Instead of celebrating the different cultures and races, he seeks to destroy through division. We must keep God before us. The United States, in its pursuit to be a Christian nation, found itself coming to a place of anti-slavery, anti-slavery, and the bloodiest battle to ever hit our nation, more than all wars combined, known as the Civil War. I see the Civil War left out on, on former wars on the Internet today. It's interesting to me. Abraham Lincoln Pen these words just prior to the Civil War. He said, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. In all my life, I've never seen racism as I have seen today. In the last 10 to 15 years, I didn't grow up with this in my house or grow up with this around me. But today I see it. Martin Luther King stated, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You know, today I'm told I've got to apologize for being a white male. Well, guess what? I'm not white. I'm red. I was was in the 
dermatologist two weeks ago, and she's looking me over, and she said, you know, I think you got hyperplasia. I said, what's that? She says, well, it's where the skin becomes, loses its elasticity, begins to break down, and uh, that's on your face. It's like, man, what caused that? She said, you're light-complected. Look, I, don't, I didn't choose, my, I didn't choose my, my race. I didn't choose my gender. If I could have chosen my race, I would have been a Hispanic male. I said this a couple of years ago. For a number of reasons, but three mainly. One, they know how to do family. They are patriarchal by nature in their culture. I love it. Number two, they have the best food ever made. And number three, they have great skin, right? You just got to admit it. My second choice, if I could have chose, I would have been black. I always wanted to be able to play basketball above the rim. Also, I love the soul, the depth, the passion, how they sing, how they praise their language, their expression, their encouragement. The minds look of those from the, from the East. One of the things I love about those, I read a lot of history books, and if you study from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, there was a big influx of Easterners coming in during that time. And they have been great innovators for the United States of America, which is a melting pot. They are responsible for the advancement in medicine that many of us enjoy today. See, one nation under God, God chose Israel for sure, but America chose God. Egypt wouldn't choose God, but God's provision would be given to a nation that God chose in Israel, and he did it through Egypt, out of Egypt. There is a power in usness. More missionaries have come from this country than any other country combined. The world has been blessed by America. People are still risking their lives to be a part of a free country, hoping just for a chance. Now, I believe there's a legal way to do this. Even Jesus said, I am the door, and he's reminding us that sovereignty upholds the values of the possessor. If you're going to be a house, in my house, you're going to uphold the values of the possessor. It's the way God designed it. It's how we pass on from generation to generation. See, I think of the Native Americans. Many of the missions were embraced, and evangelism happened in the early 1800s, right through this country, even through this area, through the Native Americans. They were code talkers during and deployed with the United States Army during World War II, including the Lakota, the Meskwaki, the Mohawk, the Comanche, the Tingit, the Hopi, the Cree, the Crow soldiers. And then there's the Mexican-Latino population, which is responsible for setting up those missions and all of the evangelism, most of the evangelism that would spread. Read a book out there. Um, let me give you one. I should have written this down. The second, The Next Christendom. It's an interesting book. Interesting book, but just how one nation has the opportunity to influence another nation. The blacks who are responsible for many of the hymns, the evangelism, uh, St. John's Methodist Episcopal Church. Look at the history there, a black church that called everyone together. Asians flooded America in the late 1800s and early 1900s and brought with them abilities for industrial, uh, industrial and technical revolution. All had a part, and all have a part. But to be America, we must return to a place of choosing God. 
And this God is for us when we choose Him. And His love gives us the ability to express love to family members, to every race, to one another, to learn to embrace each other. Psalm 33, 12 said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Joseph, and not only him, but now all of his family, have an opportunity to change a nation, to lead one another. In verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Watch what he tells them. Don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me on ahead of you. You see, Joseph found grace, and grace is God's ability. It's not in his own ability that he could do this. He did it in God's ability. Use that as your definition. It's what we've done for years here. Remember, Joseph told Pharaoh, I cannot discern dreams, but my God can. Joseph always needed God's grace. He needed God's ability above his own. A dream that came against incredible odds, a pit, a slavery, a dungeon, and now he's a prince. God's grace, our obedience. Joseph has unspeakable strength. He lost his coat, but he never lost his character. Here in Genesis 45, he is coming to the end of his suffering where his later days are about to be much greater than his former days. And he's going to learn what grace is as he operates in it. He learns to stand for what is right, oppose what is wrong, but offer grace, understanding that we are all broken. We all need Jesus. Verse 19, you, also, you are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives to get your father and come. And get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best, watch this. This is what he's telling his brothers who betrayed him. He says the best of all Egypt. The best. Not second best, not third. The best of all Egypt is yours. It's yours. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. The best is yours. See, Joseph had two different ways he could have reacted. But God really understood Joseph's heart. He understood family. The first place we experience relationships in our life are, is family. You have your immediate family and you have your church family. Some are more difficult than others. Some would say you have, to, you have a work family and a play family. Those are not families, all right? That's not true. You, you actually have a church family and a home family. That's what you have. Uh, 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 all the other families that you say you have, those are constituents or comrades. Ask the staff. We had a staff development this week. They learned all about that. So here's the truth. None of this would have happened without his brothers. Relationships always forge our character. Everyone has people in their lives. I love you, but you get on my nerves, right? You've got family members like that. Joseph's love is stronger than his memory. That's a great thing. What gave the most pain in Joseph's life? His family. It wasn't the pit. It wasn't the whip. It wasn't the stick that gave Joseph the most pain in his life. It was his family. He wanted his family. What do you do when your love won't go away and your common sense tells you to leave them alone? We tell ourselves, I hate myself. I was never going to talk to them again and go there again and, and let them in my life again. But they're family. They knock on the door, and what do you do? Well, come in. You want some tea? This is how we work, and we operate. But the more grace we have, the more we'll understand as Joseph understood. 
See, the very thing you hate about you by letting them back in is the very thing that God loves most about you. The very thing possibly that you hate that allows them back in is the very thing that God loves the most about you. A heart of love, compassion. It hurts to hold your peace when you're right. It's tough when you say, we aren't going to do it again, and we get up in the morning and we do it anyway. How do you handle this? Joseph understood something. A powerful position equals humble character. Maybe it should read this way. A humble character will always equal a powerful position. Some people can't handle power because they, they uh, are always looking to get revenge. I'm going to one-up you. I'm not going to listen to understand. I'm just going to simply listen to reply. You know those people. They're telling you how it is before you finish the statement. You can't have a dream if your love can't overcome a fall. Look, there are some people you must love them from a distance. That's true. Uh, Look, I love you, but give me 30 feet because it's not safe for you. Joseph can bless them when others would have cursed them because of grace. Look, and because of that, it affected an entire world. For God so loved the world, we should too. Our example may be the only Bible someone ever reads. It's a cliche statement, but it's true. Some of us, God is saying, I want to raise you up in your Egypt, but hatred, pride, revenge is in your heart. You can't save the world if this is how you are. Many of us this morning, our character is not in check, so our gifting is not noticed. It's not available to God. Some of us feel we are screaming and no one is listening. God, are you really there? Others this morning are simply wanting to be heard, but feel you have no voice. Some claim to love, but they're all unwilling to yield to God's ways. We are God's people called according to His purpose. The Scripture states the world yearns for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. You will never get out of your Egypt with a mindset, God, if you only knew. God, if you only knew. Listen, God knows and He cares and He created you for position, for His purpose in order to influence you through dreams, through visions, through His Word. And it's not just for you. He wants to gift you and bring those giftings out in order to be able to serve those around you, in order to not just win families to Him, but to win a nation back to Him and eventually win the world to Him. And I know this because of how He taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Would you please stand? I'm going to ask for the altar team to make their way forward this morning. As they do, I want to encourage you this morning to come and receive prayer. Come and receive. Some of you need to get out of Egypt. Some of you need to go to Egypt. You know, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Go, go test it. Jump in the boat. Row over the ocean. Find out what's taking place, right? I mean, God wants to use us to maximize our capabilities, our gift sets, because time is limited. That's another message I wanted to put together with this one. And a whole lot there. But the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts the lifetime of the opportunity, and that's your life. And for some, it's much shorter than others. So it makes a difference. I don't know where you are in your Egypt this morning, but God does. And he wants to speak to you about that this morning. So I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer.
from the church, the real family of God, the very bride of Christ. Father God, thank you for this, your church. Raise us up and send us forth in Jesus' name. Amen.